I'm Lee Pastor here, and um, I'm going to get to spend the next few moments with you guys just uh, really talking about uh, last week and uh, the journey that we've been on and, and different conversations that we've had, that I've had with different people, especially coming out of the growth groups. And it's been really interesting having those conversations because um, what's been happening in those growth groups uh, weren't exactly what I expected, but it's a good thing. And, and it's good that people are starting to really open up and talk about some uh, certain things. Now, if you weren't here last week or just uh, if you need a reminder, last week we talked about love. And uh, not the romantic kind, but the kind of, of love uh, between a fellow uh, follower of Christ to another fellow uh, follower of Christ. Uh, going outside of your, your world and uh, reaching out to somebody. We talked with Joy uh, about her uh, noticing a, a young lady who it was her first time in it this community and uh, she was new to town and she she didn't have a support group around her and she she was looking for uh, a community of faith in Jesus Christ and and people to come around her and it was kind of cool I, I as I interviewed joy all all day uh, it came to the Sunday evening gathering and after interviewing her like the one that you heard uh, three young ladies came up to me after the gathering and uh, she said, hi, uh, I'm Shauna, and uh, I'm the person you've been talking about. And I'm like, oh, cool. Hey, I don't know, that was probably kind of weird sitting here and, you know, we're talking, talking about you and your experience at E3. She goes, no, it was totally cool. In fact, I've brought two friends with me, and uh, she introduced one, and then she introduced the other. And she said, this is my first time, and she's probably about 18, 19 years old. She says, it's my first time ever coming into a place, uh, you know, a church, a place that's uh, set aside to seek out who God is. And she didn't, that's my words, that's not how she said it, but I'm like, oh, that is, that is just so excited, exciting for me, and just uh, how, how that chain of, of joy reaching out to someone who was new uh, here, and then in part she felt that this was such a loving and welcoming place that she thought it was a safe enough place where she could uh, invite someone who, who doesn't know God or, or at least hasn't acknowledged God as a, as a force in her life. And I, I started, I was interested in really understanding how our community could take a larger step forward in, in loving people and uh, specifically beyond these four walls. And as I started talking with different growth group leaders, I was getting interesting feedback because one of the questions that, that I wrote in the curriculum was, how, how are we as a community going to show love? How are we going to be the tangible hand of Christ? What can I do this week to, to show somebody that, that God cares about me or them? And the feedback that I was getting back was that, that, that people were actually uh, resistant to the idea. And I was like, wow, really? I'm like, and, and several uh, growth group leaders that I talked to said, well, they're not, they're not so much, they're not opposed to the idea. They think it's, a, it's an incredible idea. It's a, it's a good idea. And we all know that we should do it, but there's these barriers in in our way. 
And I'm like, well, what are some of the barriers that people were talking about? And, and things like fear of just uh, coming up and talking to somebody new. And I, I understand that. There was uh, self-confidence. People just didn't have the self-confidence to, to go out and, and show somebody love. There were other you know, just, you know, other just different things. And I started thinking, and I've been uh, reading some books about the, the 15th century and uh, really exploring the navigators, Magellan, Columbus, all of these guys. And just the, the time period uh, happening in the, in, the, in the later 15th century, uh, uh, specifically in the, in the 90s. Uh, and uh, it's kind of interesting. I came across, there was a publication in, uh, that was published and released in 1493, and it was called the Nuremberg Chronicle. And basically, it was kind of a snapshot of the, of the world up until that point. And this snapshot of the, of the world, in fact, it was one of the, uh, that it was a world of very little vision or hope. It describes Europe as an extremely depressed place. It, uh, the author calls the social climate the, the calamity of our time and the publishers in this book, they actually left pages blank in the book. You know why? So the readers could chronicle the final days of the existence of humans on earth. So I think they needed maybe more than three or four pages. But it's interesting to, to think about, about that time period. What's even more interesting is you got to think about that time there hadn't been a major scientific breakthrough for over a thousand years. That they are coming out of the plagues. They were seeing the breakdown of the feudal order. Crumbling of the, of the church. There was just this huge depression. And then it seemed like in the next... 50 years that this, this fog lifted in Europe. And, and uh, what we know now is the, the time of Renaissance. And you wonder what happened, right? I mean, nothing, nothing happened for, for a thousand years, really, that things were just the same, that people were just trying to get through their existence. And I've been reading one book, by uh, Edwin Friedman, and, and uh, I mean, this is not fun reading. I mean, this is, this is so I'm just telling you, like, I mean, if you pick up a, this book, it's called A Failure of Nerve. Yeah, it, 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 it's, uh, it, it's a tough read, but, it, but it's a good read. And uh, he was talking, uh, and this is what got me interested in studying the Navigators, he was talking about, about how Christopher Columbus... In 1492, was, this was almost the, a hinge point in history where this, this door of enlightenment swung open. In fact, somebody born in 1492 over the next 50 years could have witnessed some pretty amazing things. They could have witnessed an artistic explosion. In fact, by the fourth journey of Christopher Columbus in 1504, 
uh, Michelangelo was sculpting David. That uh, Leonardo da Vinci had, had completed the Mona Lisa. That all of this art and renaissance was just exploding. The Reformation led by Calvin and Luther. That happened. And the church was never the same. The invention of the watch. We just didn't know what time it was real. I mean, we had a good, good idea. But just think about how that would have changed things. How about this? The use of lenses to observe space. And then probably the, one of the even bigger ones is the first newspaper started to be sold. Some scholars say that this 50-year period was the, the biggest paradigm shift in the, in the history of the world only rivaled maybe by the first part of the 20th century. That, that there was so many paradigm shifts during this time and uh, people's worldviews just fell away. First one, uh, first misconception was that they believed that the world's landmass, which consisted of Europe, in Asia, essentially, was all above the equator and that the ocean was landlocked. And then the other one was that, that our, they believed that our universe was geocentric, basically a ro- revolved around us. Some people still think that, but uh, it's not true. And you got to think, wow, what amazing things happen during this time period. And there's an interesting idea. I want to go to the equator. The equator was this imaginary line. It still is an imaginary line. But they thought, you know what? Hey, there's nothing after this equator. Some people thought the world was flat. Some just thought, you know, it just kind of ended there. Some, you know, a lot of people thought that there was a globe just like Columbus. And uh, it's interesting as you read and you think about the, the people who, who were the, the navigators of the time, they, they didn't have very good maps. In fact, in your notes, uh, you can see this is Columbus's actual map that he was setting off on. That him and another gentleman actually sketched that map out before they headed out to cross the ocean. I don't know about you, but I think I'd need a little more to go on. And it's interesting to think, and this is before they headed out, what Columbus essentially thought was that the earth was a lot smaller. He thought everything was above the equator, and he thought a landmass was above the equator. He thought, and he also thought that it was much smaller. And could you come up here and help me real quick? Essentially, here, jump up here on the, on the, on the stage. This, this is the world before 
19, or excuse me, 1492, a little dyslexia there. Um, that basically what Columbus thought he could do was take off from Spain. Here we go. And uh, in that what he would do is just pop right around here and then be in Asia. And you know what the amazing thing is? Before he set out, and, and basically the whole worldview they set out, they thought that was the world. They thought that, that was, there was nothing more, that they're, they're, they had, had figured everything out. They, the world as they knew it. And the big thing about Columbus, I mean the one that, that I can't even get my mind around, is this this little thing, this con two continents called North and South America. They never even thought that there possibly could be a landmass between Spain and Asia. That even the most forward, thank you very much, even the most forward thinkers of the day couldn't conceptualize that there possibly could be, what did they call it? The new world. In between what they knew and what was actually there. And as I was listening to the stories that were coming out of, of the growth groups, it was almost that we were talking about the same thing, that, that we're the new navigators. That, that maybe there's this imaginary equator that we're afraid to cross, or maybe we're not even really afraid to cross it, but we just, or we think we're not afraid to cross it, but it's there and it's a boundary from us discovering a whole different world. And I was reading um, about some other things, and there was there's an expression, a nautical expression, that I thought was very interesting. It says, they would say, the safest place for ships is in the harbor. But that's not why ships were built. The safest place for ships is in the harbor. But that is not why ships were built. The safest place for a follower of Christ is at church. But that is not why God called you to follow Him. It's good to go to the harbor. You can fix your boat. You can get supplies. You can get a new crew. New captain. No mutinies, please. <laughs> I'll go willingly. <laughs> the safest place for a Christian is in the local church. 
But that is not why God called you. There's equators out there, and I heard for each one of us, our equator might be different. Maybe it's self-confidence. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's brokenness. You know, Columbus was known for how lousy of a map reader he was. You could just look at his map. Good night. Nobody goes out with that. Not even that day. That was a bad map. But he went. And he discovered, much to the surprise of people who had been there for thousands and thousands of years before, <laughs> he discovered a new world. That's a totally different message. And it swung open the door of imagination gridlock, of reality gridlock that had gripped Europe for thousands of years. The safest place for a ship is in the harbor. But that is not why ships are built. The safest place for a Christian is in a local church. But that is not why God called you to follow Him. We must identify this equator that prevents us from showing the love to each other and our world. We must leave the harbor, even if we know we don't have a good map, but we just know that there's more out there. And by us leaving the harbor, that can swing open the door of so many other things that we could hardly imagine. Have you ever thought if Jesus ever thought about us? Or was he just concerned with the 12 or the 72? Was he just concerned about that time and that period? Or, or, or did he see beyond that? I mean, really, does he, did he ever think about us sitting here this Sunday morning and, and realizing that we have equators in our life that we are definitely afraid of or we think are these physical barriers that cannot be crossed. Something preventing us from living out the vision that God has for our life. It's a, it's a, it's a good question, I think. And I think the answer may rock your world. If you open up your Bibles to John chapter 17, in verse 18, he says, As you sent me into the world, this is Jesus praying, by the way. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
I am sending them into the world. He's sitting there and, he, and he's praying. And it's kind of interesting the circumstance that he's praying. He knows that the Pharisees, the religious rulers, and the Roman soldiers are coming to get him, to try him and to crucify him. He knows this is happening and he's choosing to spend his final few free moments in the garden talking to God. And this is what he's choosing to talk to God about. As you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself entirely to you so they also might be entirely yours. And then verse 20, he says something very interesting. It says, I am praying not only for these disciples, the 11 guys who were there, but also for all whom will ever believe in me because of their testimony. Is it possible that Jesus had this in mind? Is it possible that Jesus had you in mind? He was God, by the way. Is it possible that he understood the equator, these barriers that we were going to face as a 21st century church? The new kind of silent persecution. The, the, the politically incorrectness of, of expressing your faith. The, the self-confident issues and the, the fear issues. As Jesus was sitting there, just the thought of knowing that he was about to face the pinnacle of human torture that he was thinking about you and I and our hang-ups of being afraid and having self-confident issues. And we've talked a lot in the past couple of weeks about how eye-centric we are and how hate is based in selfishness and love is based in sacrifice. And Jesus is sitting here and he's praying for us that we will not fall into this trap of I, but we will be willing to sacrifice not only the stuff that we like, which I think sometimes is easier to release, but release those things that we don't like. We find comfort in our fear because why? It's our fear. It's not your fear, it's my fear. We find comfort in our self confidence issues why because it's self it's mine that i 
I can hold on to it. I can understand it. I can feel comfort in it. And I can step back and say, you know what? I don't need to do something because I have self-confident issues. The Bible tells us how we as followers of Christ can boldly come before our Creator. Now let me just ask you, if you can boldly come before our Creator, what else do we have to fear? But putting that all aside over here, this is where I want you to turn your mind. Think about the person who's coming here for the first time or the person sitting by themselves or the person who doesn't have a growth group or a person who doesn't know how to get connected with community or the person who doesn't know how they're going to feed their family or the person who doesn't know how they're going to get to work. What about those fears? I often say that those of us who consider ourselves mature in our faith, that, that one of the, the principles or, or indications of maturity is the willingness to sacrifice personal preferences for the good of others. You think about it in, in physical maturity. You think about little kids. Little kids, you know, they don't sacrifice. It's mine, 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 mine. Mine, 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 mine. And you try to teach them sharing, and it's a big milestone when, when a kid has something and actually on their own offers to share it. It's a big milestone when they, they, sell, they give something away to a friend who maybe not have something especially if it's something that they, they hold dear. It's a big milestone when people who follow Jesus Christ can finally say, you know what, it's, it's not about me. I know that that's kind of a cliche kind of thing that, that oh yeah, I know it's not about me. You, you may know it, but do you live that out? At what point do our fears and self-confidence issues take back seat? To Jesus praying for us, sending us into the world so we may be entirely God's. He continues on after he says, look, I'm praying for us. I'm praying for us sitting here right now. He says, my prayer for all of them is that they will be one, just as you and I are one. Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us and the world will believe you sent me. Interesting track of thought there. That, that we have this idea of the Trinity and that we're being invited to experience that community and that unity of faith. 
that unity of purpose, of knowing that God is calling us to put aside our hurts, our hang-ups, our preferences for the good of others. Why? So that they will have the opportunity to experience a relational God. And if we do this, the world will believe you sent me. That's a heavy burden to carry, isn't it? God's saying, look, we need to put aside our personal preferences and love others more than we love our lack of self-confidence. We have to love others more than we love our fear. We have to love others more than we love our hurt. We have to love others more than we love our time or our money or our stuff. And then we got to come together and say, what is the main thing? The main thing is to point people to God. Verse 22, he continues, says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are. I and them and you and me, all being perfected into one. Then the world will know that you sent me and will understand that you love them as much as you love me. Is our equator this idea of an elevated sense of unity? Is our equator the thing that's holding us back from truly loving one another? What is your equator? Jesus has prayed for each and every one of us. He understands pain. He understands hurt. But it's time for us to stop being in the safety of the harbor. Let's get our stuff. Let's make sure our boat doesn't leak too, leak too much. Let's put a map on a cocktail napkin. And let's head out and let's kick open the door of imagination gridlock and let's truly experience the God of the universe. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that there's a lot of hurt and pain in this room. I know that there are so many things that seem to be in our way or, or maybe gives us a pass on living out this unity and love idea that you prayed for us to carry out. But the truth is, 
We're always going to have pain. We're always going to have hurt. There's always going to be issues as long as we're on this side of heaven. God, I feel that it's time for us to get out of the harbor. Let us be who you designed us to be. Let's go out and be the tangible hand of you. Let us live in love and unity so the world will truly know that you came to seek and save the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.